0: We are about to learn together a revolutionary perspective on our davening. And we're going to learn it from the story of Chana, which is the haftarah that we read on Rosh Hashanah. And about how she appeared to be drunk, but actually was teaching us all how we're supposed to daven. The Haftarah the first day of Rosh Hashanah, which is from the beginning of Shmuel. But at Zaltvek and we get told the story of Chana. Aisha Elkona, who was the wife of Elkona. Vosetokhen is, the theme, the message of the Haftarah is, that originally she was infertile, and subsequently Durkher Villa, as a result of her prayer, when she went to shiloi and Davond in the Mishkan, she was then blessed with a son, and not just any son, but Shmuel Hanovi. Now, the purpose and the intention of reading the Haftarah on a Yom Tev, vi haftarah, just like the Haftarah that we read on Shabbos, is Is similar to the concept of reading the parasha every week from the Torah. It's there to teach us a lesson. So the idea of reading the parasha, but what we're focused on over here is reading the Haftarah, is so that we should come home with a lesson, with a personal lesson, uh, in dem Shabbos and in dem Chag, a lesson that is relevant too and can be learned from that Shabbos, or in this case, from the Yom Tev. that's exactly how it is over here with the Haftar of Rosh Hashanah. as the term for Even though the simple reason why we read this Haftar of Rosh Hashanah is Valchane, is Nifke Rosh because Hannah's prayers were answered on Rosh Hashanah and of course there's a great message over there about the things that we need that we ask for that we daven for and in Yetz Hashem were also answered on Rosh Hashanah but beyond that the fact that we read this Haftarah on Rosh Hashanah implies that there are many many lessons that are specific to how we serve Hashem over Rosh Hashanah that are <coughs> incorporated in the Haftarah And of course, as well as some more general lessons about how a Jewish person person should conduct themselves that are not unique only to Rosh Hashanah. So, what was the avoida that Hannah did that brought her to the point of having her prayers answered and being blessed with a child where, by nature, she shouldn't have a child? And of course, the fact that she was blessed with a child is the key element of this haftarah that matches the Torah Shashana. So, what did she do right? Is given your was the davening that she davened when she was in Shiloh. Therefore, it's logical to conclude as the limit ikri haftarah that the primary lesson we should extract out of this haftarah with regards to how we, as Yidin, are supposed to conduct ourselves in the service of Hashem over Rosh Hashanah, is in Tefillah Shana must all be built from the prayer, the, the nature of her davening. Especially when you consider the opinion that the shalom quotes, that not only was her prayer answered on Rosh Hashanah, or that she was blessed to have a child on Rosh Hashanah, but specifically that the Tefillah, the davening itself, occurred on Rosh Hashanah. So if we want to understand our davening generally, and specifically our davening on Rosh Hashanah, and how to do it properly, this is the story to analyze. And there's some interesting elements of the story, which we'll see. To appreciate the power of her tefillah, let's analyze her story. We know that initially when Eli Hakoyen was in charge of Mishkan Shiloi. And who was the shofar at the time, when he found her davening, he initially assumed her to be drunk. is given an from a because as we know, she was mouthing the words, but there was no sound. And he thought this ostensibly was drunken behaviour. And, and as a result of that, he he took issue with her. And after the he gave her a speech. how long are you going to behave in this drunken fashion? On for to which Khanna had to defend herself and to explain, Loya I'm not drunk, my master. She had to explain that she's a bitter person who has terrible challenges, and she's poured out her soul. Very important terminology that we'll revisit later. She poured out her soul to Hashem. Now Del Khairo is when you really think about the story, it actually doesn't make sense. First of all, Alevi Kumtas, as Eli HaKoyen, you're talking here about Eli Hakohen, who is the Shofet of the time, the Jewish leader, the most spiritual person in the nation at that time. So, HaBan Hazat, Tozman, Akotze, Akotze, should be so extremely mistaken to the exact opposite extent of what was actually going on. And Shtotsu Tekenen Aziz, sanefesh. how could he miss the fact that she was davening with this absolute outpouring of her soul? He instead thought she was drunk? How did he get it so dramatically wrong? Question two, base. Okay, let's assume that we have a good explanation of how Eli got it so wrong. It's still a question. What does the Torah tell us how Eli got it so wrong? we know very well the Gemurim Sochim, that even, sorry, the Boba Bobabastra, that even the, the, to speak badly about a non kosher animal, the Torah avoids. How much more so? And there's a huge distinction, obviously, if you're talking about Eli So, why does the Torah tell us? Okay, so let's assume he got it wrong, assuming he did. Because our first question is, how could he have gotten it so wrong? Don't tell us. Don't play it up. Don't make a big fuss about it. And lastly, let's assume that he did actually, face-value version of the story, believe she was drunk. So why did he wait to to criticize her? Until she finished the davening. Rashi explains the words of the Pasuk that where it says that Eili was watching or guarding her mouth. Rashi says that word implies that he was waiting. This is the Mishkan. If he felt she was so out of line, he should have interfered immediately and interrupted her. And Zem is also from, from, from he should have had her escorted out of the Mishkan. So it really doesn't make sense. How could he have gotten it so wrong? If he was, in fact, right in his thinking, why then did he wait so long to remove her or to stop her? He didn't stop her. He let her daven. doesn't make sense. And Unless, of course, we're missing something, which is, from the Malam is it actually indicates to us, that when the Torah tells us that Eli thought she was drunk, It actually does not mean literally drunk. Instead it means that Eli identified that the nature of her davening at that point in time was the drunken version of davening. What does that mean, the drunken version of davening? Considering that Chana's davening was, as the Tanakh tells us, that she was davening a tremendous amount it says Yesero Minhamido, that implies that it was Davening way more than the expected amount of davening that a person would do. the Harotze, which by the way, overdoing the Davening is also not ideal. We'll discuss this later in more detail. But when one is in Hashem's home, close to Hashem, so to speak, face-to-face to, face to Hashem, you're not supposed to overdo the davening. And that was Eli's criticism. Like a drunk person who doesn't necessarily know when to stop speaking, she didn't know when to stop davening. Not that he really thought she was drunk. To which she replied, and Khanesen for of them is, I'm not just davening because I'm overdoing it. I'm pouring out my soul in front of Hashem. Meaning, as when the said, "He She was telling Eli that when a person davens more than usual, because they're in a situation where there's this outpouring of soul, then it's a from Then it's not negative, like drunkenness would be negative, and this might be the drunken version of davening, which is negative. Now, other up to the contrary, and This is actually a very lofty level of davening. That's the conversation. Elie thinks she's overdoing the davening, and Chana illustrates that her davening is so driven by this outpouring of the soul that it's actually completely appropriate, and he has to acknowledge that. And that helps us understand the connection between Chana's davening and Rosh Hashanah in a far deeper way than just simply because it happened at that time of the year because the interaction and the the debate back and forth between Eli and Chana <coughs> how it is appropriate to daven in Hashem's home that helps us to appreciate more <coughs> profoundly what kind of davening she did and through that it will help us understand the nature of our davening on Rosh Hashanah, so let's talk about davening on Rosh Hashanah because it's fundamentally paradoxical. When you analyze the nature of davening on Rosh Hashanah, you'll see that it seems to have two elements that are totally contradictory. On the one hand, Rosh Hashanah is the yom hadin, and etzarach, We know that Rosh Hashanah is a time of judgment, where Elisha determines everything that relates to our needs for the coming year, whether they be spiritual or physical needs. We a like the pasuk says in Tiran, "Choykl Yisrael Hu," it is a statute for Israel, mishpatelu kei Yaakov, and it's a law for the God of Yaakov, which means Choykl Yisrael is <coughs> for Loshen Hachifnei Lechem Chukoi. the the expression of Choykl <coughs> Israel is like the expression in Mishlay that says, "You provide for me my appropriate amount of food." May dinu So that relates to the judgment over Rosh Hashanah for all our physical needs. And then U Mishpat Lay Lake Yaakov, where now it's speaking about a law of Hash of the so called God of Yaakov, is the Dinumishpath Finyonim Ruchnim. That talks about the judgment with regards to spiritual things. How much godliness will we experience? How much godliness will be revealed in our neshama? So Rosh Hashanah is a day of judgment for everything that affects our lives, both physical and spiritual. Therefore, That's why Rosh Hashanah is a time we ask for health, for family, for food. Panosah. As well as on Rosh Hashanah, we also ask to succeed in our spiritual endeavors. So on the one hand, Rosh Hashanah is a time where we think about what we need and we request what we need. That means there's a consciousness of self and a consciousness of our needs. Whereas the Yidach Gisan, on the other hand, is obi we know very well, as the Nekudus of Vosikoliz B'tevila, that the core of what the type of Avoida we're supposed to do on Rosh Hashanah is, which of course is reflected in the Davening Rosh Hashanah, Hashanah, shet HaMachter zayn Demayu Bishan Al-Smelech is primarily to accept Hashem's authority as the ultimate king. like the Gemara Rosh Hashanah says, that we should accept Hashem as our king. We say this in the words of Rosh Hashanah Rule over the whole world with your glory Be the king over the whole land And various other expressions we use in our dwelling. So the theme of Rosh Hashanah Is to accept Hashem's ultimate authority as king When you coronate a king you accept the king's authority That's something that you achieve By relinquishing the sense of self, completely. In other words, the person completely throws themselves, so to speak, at the king's feet, says, You're in charge. I have no say. I have no independent thought. So the ultimate experience of accepting Hashem as king would be to completely lose sight of our own personal needs. And having that degree of surrender to Hashem, that's what evokes within the king that he wants to be our king. Ah, your dedicated subjects, in that case I'll be your king. So now we see what appear to be two contradictory elements. These are surely absolute opposites. If we are in a state of being where we are completely surrendered to the king, as we should, then how can we possibly be in the headspace to start thinking about and requesting personal needs? You can only ask for personal needs if you have things that you personally want, which means a sense of self and this applies equally even if the needs are of a spiritual nature and definitely if they are of a physical nature where ultimately it's actually the primary judgment of Rosh Hashanah is about physical things as the Rambam writes as the Rambam writes so how do we satisfy these two opposite concepts? Total relinquishing of self in order to have betul to the king to accept Hashem as the authority versus asking for what we need, which is the true state of our davening and our avoid on Yoshashana. And when you listen to this, it's actually quite shocking what the Zayah tells us. As That if there's a person who on Yom Kippur requests a mezena for sustenance for forgiveness or for life like by saying right us for life in the most practical sense says the story that's like a dog that just says feed me feed me give give whatever you want whatever I want I should get because they're just thinking about themselves not about the how's that for a thought? Whereas at the same times, yet the fact that we ask for things on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur was included in the davening, not by us through, Chazal, through the greatest of our sages, who explained to us that Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are very unique times for Hashem to fulfill our request. So, which one is it? Are we supposed to completely surrender the sense of self to accept Hashem as our king? Or are we supposed to keep a list of what we need and ask for them? As the Bakosh fashtandik, So that implies, as so The fact that the Chazal said this is a good time to ask for what we need, that tells you it's not just simply, okay, it's the correct time. I'm going to do my duty to ask for what I need. To say, okay, I have to ask for my things and I'm going to do it only because I'm doing what Hashem wants. No, that's not good enough. The implication is that we actually feel the need and want those things and therefore ask for them sincerely. In other words, on the one hand, there's one part of the davening where we're completely supposed to focus and intend as the sein that the Abishha should give me what I need. And the only way a person can sincerely Daven for their needs is with a sense of consciousness, of self, marges felt, and an awareness of what the person lacks in life and needs. And zusammen damit simultaneously darf es ein durchgenommen mit dem Alechem. The person has to be completely filled with the consciousness of accepting Hashem as King. Was Bittel, which requires total surrender of self. Was that completely undermines this, the, the person's existence. So which one is it? Part of davening pulls me in the one direction. The overall of Rosh Hashanah pulls me in the other direction. How does it work? And the truth is, this is not only a Rosh Hashanah question. Because the we can actually apply the same questioning, the line of questioning, to our daily davening. Because by the Tfiloh from Shemoneh Esrei is the Mispalot Lifnei HaMelech. Where every single day, three times a day, when we daven Shemoneh Esrei, we're supposed to be as if we're standing directly in front of Hashem the King. When you stand in front of the king you're not allowed to do anything that indicates self. To the extent that Gemara tells us that even if a person gestures or winks or anything like that to to, to another person while they're in front of the king it is a capital offense. That's every time we dive in Total relinquishing the sense of self. That's what Shemana Esrei is supposed to be. Total Bittal. And yet at the same time, what did Chazal determine that should be part of the Shemana Esrei for every single Jewish person? In Nosecha Tvila, the Yudbeis Bruchas Hem 12 out of the 18 brochas, or 19 brochas of the Shemana Esrei, the 12 so-called middle brochas. All about asking for what we need. So which one is it? Complete betul because I'm standing in front of Hashem. Or thinking about myself because I'm asking for what I need. Now the truth is our best is fine. Even though the question might be similar with regards to the daily Shemones, There actually is a huge difference between Rosh Hashanah and every other day of the year. Because The other 363 days of the year Are all after We've already done our voida Of the two days of Rosh Hashanah And accepted Hashem as our king So the king Is already installed in his role And Abish is running the show Like the king runs his country So at that point When the king is already doing his job the submission of the servants, the, the population to the king is a little different. the people realize that they have their, that they exist and they have their needs. and the king takes care of those needs and he'll guide them and provide for them and they'll have to follow certain rules and that's fine. It's just that if you happen to be face-to-face with the king, So, but if you're standing right in front of the king, that's when you have to realize, okay, the city, the king, the, the sorry, the country, the population are not independent. That's when you have to realize you're completely under the jurisdiction of the king because now you're face-to-face with the king. In other words, every day of the year, you can have different phases of how committed you are to the king, depending on where you are and what the circumstances are. Rosh Hashanah is totally different. On Rosh Hashanah, we have to now create the possibility of Hashem being our king by coronating Hashem, installing Hashem into the position, so to speak, which means that at that point in time, David is completely aloof, infinitely beyond undertaking the role of being king of earth. Because Nebush is infinite and earth is really nothing. So then in order to elicit that interest... And that undertaking from Hashem, that requires a far greater, far deeper degree of, of commitment and surrender to Hashem. It actually requires absolute surrender to Hashem. Such a powerful surrender that in context you are unable to detect anything other than the king himself. So then we really have the question with regards to Rosh Hashanah. When you're in such a state on Rosh Hashanah, creating the possibility of Hashem being the king by totally surrendering yourself absolutely. So how can it be at that time that we'll be asking the king for what we need? The Debir boze is we're misunderstanding the explanations. We're misunderstanding what it means to ask for our needs. The fact that a Jew asks for personal requests of Rosh Hashanah, it doesn't, it's not about what the person is asking, it's about why they're asking. Asking for our personal needs on Rosh Hashanah dare not be for our purpose, for our interests. er It should never be about us getting so much of what the world has to offer. Or even what the spiritual worlds have to offer. When we reach the point of requesting our needs on Rosh Hashanah, that should just be an extension of the process of complete dedication and surrender to Hashem in order to accept Hashem as our King. Now how do you do that? In order for the to be king of the world, as we propose in our Shoshana, which means the entire world should be able to be conscious of Hashem's rule. The way to achieve that is that we, Jewish people, engage with and use the things of the physical world to make a place that is a, a conduit for godliness, a home for godliness. Why do we need money? So that we can do more of what Evishter wants, to transform the world into a place of holiness. Not because we want a nicer car or a fancy vacation. And seeing as every single one of us has specific so-called sparks of holiness, which were allocated specifically to that Jew's neshama to find, to release, and to elevate. That you're the only person who could elevate those particular sparks. And where are you going to find those sparks? They are embedded in physical items, which they delivers into this person's space. How am I supposed to find the sparks and I'm supposed to elevate? I don't know, but the assets that the Abisha directed my way, or the opportunities that the Abisha created for me, that's where those sparks are. Therefore, the Jew asks of Hashem, please give me those assets, as so that he can achieve that part of accepting Hashem as King, which is allocated to his neshama via those parts of the world." In other words, as even at the time that the Jew asks for personal needs over Rosh Hashanah, it's not about a sense of me and what I need. Because the person is absolutely conscious of the fact that I'm asking for these things to facilitate the Elisha's wishes. The other to the contrary. It's actually, the, why is the person asking for what they need? Because they have complete surrender to Hashem, by the in state by the Avoida of it's because the person is in that incredible state of surrender as part of accepting Hashem as the king. Because, and here's the first major radical insight. Because the idea of elevating those holy sparks that are embedded in the pieces of the world that we have at our disposal is linked to the essence of our neshama. That's an incredible, incredibly powerful insight. <laughs> in exactly the same way as the Ebeshcheh desired to have a home in the lowest realm, which is achieved through our efforts in elevating and refining the world, where does that desire of Hashem come from? It is originally rooted in Hashem's essence. Because the proposal, because the objective of having a home for Hashem in this world is rooted in Hashem's essence, therefore, in our human experience, it's rooted in in our essence, we're the ones who activate Hashem's aspiration, so to speak, or desire, so to speak. The avoider of realizing what Hashem's essence wants to achieve to transform this world into the most accommodating place for godliness is likewise embedded in the essence of who we are. And when you're looking from the perspective of the essence of the soul, there's no room for ego, self-interest, ulterior motives. This is the part of of the neshama that is completely bound with Hashem. It's absolutely one with Hashem. Is fashtandik. So when we operate from that perspective of the essence of our Neshama, then it's self-understood as the bakoshas that the words may be words requesting personal needs. But it's to the The intention is that those needs will facilitate us fulfilling what Hashem intends. Is that is all bound up in the concept of the total surrender that a person is capable of due to the essence of their neshama, which over the course of Rosh Hashanah is all expressed through our avoid of accepting Hashem as king. What are we learning? That when a person is focused appropriately and in touch with the essence of their neshama, as we are in Rosh Hashanah, through the battle of accepting Hashem as our king, then when we ask for things, we're not asking for us. We're asking for Hashem's essence. Now, Lecheric came in and This is a very obvious question to ask. The Bakoshas, Tzroch of and Hashanah, asking for our personal needs and Rosh Hashanah, that, that was put into the machzah for every single Jew to read and to say and to ask. And that implies in Yedon, Maimedu Matzav or Segefenseh that that applies to every Jew in whatever particular set of circumstances they may find themselves. And if we're honest with ourselves, we know ourselves. We know that when we're asking for our personal needs, be they physical or even spiritual, it's not always for every Jew, for every one of us, with this absolutely altruistic, committed, battle-driven way of asking, because I want to fulfill what Hashem wants. A lot of times because I'm really, I'm, I'm, I'm stressed. Er will aus dem Sommermelder sein, sein in der Menschen zu drücken. We actually want Abish to provide us with things. From his full hand and from his broad hand. In fact, that is the mitzvah of davening. Okay, as is clearly stated in the bruches that we say for davening. That's the whole greatness of davening, is that these things should actually happen. The person who's ill should be healed. The person who needs the rainfall will have it von So if you had told me that on Rosh Hashanah I should delete any sense of self out of the memory banks, and not ask for anything that I need, nor sein if they had asked me that the entire Rosh Hashanah should be focused exclusively on accepting Hashem's authority with complete surrender and betel, um, and just to have total Kabbalah except whatever Hashem wants then, then there'd be no question over here because this is such a powerful time of the year with the source of light representing Hashem and the spark of light representing Anushama are unusually close and drawn to each other so because of what's happening is every one of us it uh, is empowered at this time of the year because it's such a unique time that we can make a, a massive paradigm shift so, to come close to Hashem in an unprecedented way. And so it is actually possible that we could forget about our personal needs. And we could actually reach a point where we want nothing else except to be connected to Hashem. That would all make sense. But how can you insist from every single person, as Bayim that we should live with the complete paradox, that on the one hand we should actually think about what we need, and we should actually want Hashem to fulfill our needs. And at the same time, we should have no personal vested interest, and we should just be completely dedicated to what Hashem wants. How do you expect the average person to accommodate this? We're not tzaddikim. Tell us, clear. forget about yourself and only focus on Hashem. Great. But there's this, this amazing tension that's created on Rosh Hashanah. Total dedication to Hashem and still awareness of what we need and to really ask for it. Vertman Os Vashen Latin Piresha Balshentav' next revolutionary principle about our davening, the Balshentav says from Pasak, the Pasak and They were hungry and thirsty, nafson Bohemtis Atov and wrapped inside, that was their soul. As their hunger, says the Balshentav and Dush von Guvtsadvamaiklodamashke, that when the human being feels a physical attraction, a temptation, a hunger, a thirst for a physical food or drink. That is just a, resu- a result of the fact that the Neshama is drawn towards that particular thing. Because the Neshama detects that inside that food or inside that drink there are these potential ho- holy sparks that could be released and elevated and that's what the Neshama wants. How do you get a body to engage with food and drink to release the Neshama? create hunger. Create thirst. And the reason that the neshama is drawn towards this particular food or drink is because in that food or drink are the sparks that are allocated to this particular neshama. In other words, The person who feels hungry is oblivious to the neshama's activity. The person just feels hungry and they are they're craving that food regardless of what the person is or isn't conscious of or how the hunger feels or the craving feels to them, it's the neshama feeling the need to rescue those sparks of holiness. That's the same thing in our context here too. The fact that a Jew with contrition and sincerity begs Hashem and Rosh Hashanah, Please give me what I need, physically, spiritually. Even though outwardly it would appear, why am I davening for those things? Because I need them. Because I want them. Because I feel the craving for those things. The reality is, why is the person pouring out their heart, pouring out their soul? It's because deep down the Neshama really wants those assets to be able to use as the catalyst to serve Hashem and to bring holiness into this world and turn the world into Hashem's home. But to the country the very fact that we see as is revolutionary the fact that a person is moved and becomes emotional when they hear about who will rest and who will be uh, under my, all, all the various things and that is an awakening that comes from far deeper inside the person's heart. And that the person is actually moved more by Unasana Toiketh, which talks about pragmatic things, who's going to have a good life or the opposite. And that affects the person more profoundly than announcing Hashem as king of the world. In Chassidus, there was always something that was considered misguided. We should really feel that accepting Hashem as a king, and the personal need should be shafted aside. Here the is telling us something totally different. The fact that people are aroused at Unasana Toiketh, is a rocha that proves as a Zoe, is as so in that is the truth. This is major revolutionary insight. Don't dis- disregard the person because they seem spiritually insensitive, because they're only getting moved by the part of Davening that speaks about the fact that life may be upended, and not about the part that says Dedicate yourself to Hashem. No, there's the truth. For a if them is even though the most Obvious explanation for why the person gets so worked up at is because at this point the neshama occupies a body, and therefore Physical things are much more relatable, and they impact a person far more than spiritual things do. So at that time in them, but the real, deeper essence reason why the person is so aroused and woken up. Because the Neshama knows that what the Elisha wants from us is to engage in the physical world. And for that, we have to have your nuach, peace of mind, Yisholev, that we should have serenity, etc., etc. That's something that affects the Jew right at the core of his soul and it comes out in the emotion that he feels at Unesana and the and is and that's why the person is roused at that time. In bakoshes dafka, specifically when it comes to asking Hashem for a good, peaceful life. At that moment where to the untrained eye, it looks like the person is just scared for their life. It's actually this paradigm shift of the essence of their neshama that now wants to fulfill Hashem's objective to make the world into a place of godliness and holiness. And that explains why the Haftar that we read on Shashana is the story of Chana. Including the part that seems offensive to Eli, where we say that Eli misunderstood her as a so-called drunkard. See, the tiny from Eli given, Eli's complaint was, as b'shaas men Hashem, you're in such a holy place in front of Hashem, lifnei kodsh you're standing right opposite the Kedush hakadoshem. he said them, as menis Hashem, you shouldn't be conscious of what's missing in your life, what's not right in your life. You should only be conscious of the fact that your neighbor's just presence. B'til betachness surely this is not a place to be asking for personal physical needs like a child and not even for her request which was to have not just an ordinary child but somebody who would be so to speak a man amongst men And especially then to keep going on and on and on and spend so much time and attention and energy on for what you need that is what Eli calls drunkenness. It's all good intentions, but it's all self-intentions, surely. Eli is saying you are so absorbed in what you need, I think you've lost touch of where you are. It's not a place to talk about you to which Chana answers, you've missed the point completely. I'm pouring out my soul, number one, before Hashem, number two. Not only is she not overly absorbed, inebriated with her own issues and wants and needs, to the contrary what you're witnessing over here is the deepest part of the neshama overflowing onto the outside that is directly related to standing before Hashem in proximity close to Hashem like the says in that we say to David where you seek out you seek out the deepest innermost Connection to Hashem. It's not about personal issues and personal lack and personal wants. Rather, the essence of who I am is that I'm one with Hashem. And therefore, whatever I'm asking for may sound like a personal request, but it's completely aligned with what the e wants. And that also explains why as soon as she made her request she immediately accompanied it with a promise with an undertaking that if in fact her prayers are answered and she's given this amazing son I'll dedicate him immediately to Hashem his whole life that tells you that it's obviously not self-interested Chana's so undertaking is that her son's life will not be his own Noravekyegen against Meibishan completely dedicated to Hashem. While her bakoshes zera nesham is nitzlibzich. Why? Because her request for a child was not for herself. Now, blessed name Meibishan'svegan was all about what Meibishan wants. Was that there had been afsho pnimo, which is something that her neshama didn't just acknowledge but felt for real, in its depth. This gives us a practical lesson we can all apply and should apply in our davening over the course of Rosh Hashanah. That it's actually not enough to know and it's a fact that our inner self is whole and wholesome and connected and fine. That has to come out to the surface. On the far, for that reason, when we stand on Rosh Hashanah and we ask Hashem for the physical things that we need, or even for the spiritual things, there's going to be an Eli HaKoin dimension within our own Hashem that complains and says, Why are you getting so intoxicated by your own issues? how dare you think about yourself and your needs at such a sensitive time of acknowledging Hashem as king of the entire world and we're not supposed to collapse because of the voice we're supposed to ask for these things that is what brings out the answer of Chana as by Yeh Der Eid that every single one of us sleep Even the Jew who's standing on Rosh Hashanah Still thinking about themselves and their needs Is the primus von Tibakosha the, the deeper real truth of that request is And even von Vashbach is from Hashem Is a matter of completely pouring out our souls in front of Hashem And Oiskos von Primius and Nefesh we're expressing the depth of ourselves. V'as is Khavuko dvukobach, which is completely bound with Hashem, ein zach mitatzmosi. He's one with Hashem's essence. Okay, shame with Enfa from Chanah, hot in Gantz and Enfa Tainy Selim. And in the same way, as Chanah's response was so powerful that Eli was totally taken by her response. Because as Adrabe, where he completely did a one eighty, and Eliot masking event metir, he agreed with her and then he gave her a brocha and an assurance in them. In them, that they will fulfill your request. That's what he told her. They will fulfill your request that you have requested of him. likewise, David should answer all of our requests. That we should have literally a good and sweet year. In a way that all the goodness is absolutely revealed and visible. In all the fundamental areas of life, family, health, and income. And all of them in absolute abundance.